Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806 on this Monday morning. It's February 12th, currently 14 degrees here in Old Town Park City under mostly sunny skies. Heber City reporting 12 degrees. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Giboy. Good morning. Morning, Leslie. Happy Monday to you. Hope that your week is off to a good start. And weather-wise, it will be a pretty good start to this week. We'll hold on to mostly sunny to partly cloudy skies as we go through the day in the Wasatch back. As temperatures will be climbing to close to where they should be for this time of year. For most, we'll see mid to upper 30s as we get to 34 degrees in Park City. And we sh should top out right around 38 degrees down in Heber. Tonight, we'll be turning chilly once again. It might not be quite as chilly compared to what we're waking up to this morning. But overnight lows still look like they're set to move toward the mid and upper teens under partly cloudy skies, so a relatively cool and quiet day today. Then we'll be turning chilly into tonight once again with temperatures dropping back into the teens. Then for our Tuesday, it's not really going to bring too many changes from what we find today, but it will be a fraction warmer, and we will see a little bit more cloud coverage as the system kind of clips us to the north, but the chance of any wet weather stays low. We'll mainly see partly sunny skies with a daytime high that climbs to around 38 degrees in Park City, and we might be able to top out in the low 40s down in Heber. And then by Tuesday night, we'll be checking in with mostly cloudy skies and with a little bit more energy and a little bit more moisture coming in from the west. On Wednesday and the Thursday, the chance of wet weather will start to increase. On Wednesday, the chance of any wet weather looks like it's going to stay low, but still can't rule out a 20% chance for a snow shower with a daytime high climbing to 37 degrees. We're going to drop to the upper 20s only on Wednesday night. And then by Thursday, snow is looking likely at this point. We'll see another day mainly in the mid to upper 30s throughout the Wasatch back. So a 70% chance of snow throughout the day on Thursday. The storm system coming in on Thursday doesn't look like it's going to be the strongest one in the world, so the chance of seeing really any accumulation down in Park City, not all that high, but up on the mountain, we obviously could see at least some accumulation. We'll keep our fingers crossed on that and fine-tune that as we get a little bit closer. High pressure looks like it's going to build in as we move from the end of the work week into this upcoming weekend, so on Friday and Saturday, the chance of any snow goes down a little bit. Doesn't look like it's going to go away completely. Then our wet weather potential will likely ramp up even more as we round out the weekend and move into next week with what is likely going to be an active weather pattern that's going to be unfolding. However, with our storm system set to move in from the southwest, our temperatures are going to stay elevated. So as we go throughout most of this week past today, we'll mainly see mid to upper 30s in Park City. But by Saturday into Sunday, daytime highs could be right around 40 degrees as overnight lows hold steady in the mid to upper 20s. So that could make for some tricky precipitation type forecasting. But again, it looks like we will see that active weather by the end of the weekend into next week. But for today and tomorrow, just relatively quiet and on the cool side, at least during the day, Leslie. Okay. Thanks, Thomas. You're welcome. And taking a look in the backcountry on the phone with us from the Utah Avalanche Center, we've got Dave. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Do, doing well. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thank you. So today we're looking at an overall considerable avalanche danger at the upper and middle elevation um, terrain, primarily for the buried persistent weak layer. And then some secondary problems are going to be um, wind drifted snow up on the highest ridge tops. And then anywhere that um, the sun comes out, we turn the corner and started to warm up significantly. And so wet, loose avalanches on any of the solar aspects. Uh, and then this weekend was a relatively busy weekend in the backcountry um, with reports of avalanches on Gobbler's Knob in Mill Creek, um, the Broads Fork Twin Peaks on the Lisa Falls Little Cottonwood side of things. And then on the backcountry outside of the Brighton Ski Resort, there was a skier triggered avalanche out there. All of those avalanches were anywhere from um, two to five feet deep. Okay, hey, thank you.
Well, coming up on the local news hour this morning, stay tuned. I'll be checking in just a minute with Summit County Health Department Director Phil Bondurant. Later on, General Manager of the Utah Olympic Park, Jamie Kimball, stopping by with an update on the park this winter. And finally, Park City Education Foundation Vice President of Advancement, Jen Bello, introducing us to the new CEO and President of the Foundation, Ingrid Whitley. We'll take in some, a look at some local news now. After years of negotiations and just days away from a scheduled final decision, the Summit County Council gave a developer a counterproposal for the 50 acres in Kimball Junction. KPCW's Connor Thomas explains. Council wants Dakota Pacific Real Estate to reduce proposed housing from 727 units to 500. The developer owns about 50 undeveloped acres west of the Skull Candy headquarters in Kimball Junction. It has the right to build tech offices, the equivalent of 24 more Skull Candies, but is asking to build a mix of condos and townhomes instead. Thursday, the council said the footprint must be smaller. Half the housing must be deed-restricted for people making 40%, 60%, and 80% of Summit County's area median income, or AMI. That's just under $150,000 for a family of four. The other half can be market rate, the council says, but half the units must be for seniors and 20 of them for people making 120% AMI or less. The proposed commercial density, 266,000 square feet, would remain the same. The outlets Park City, for reference, covers 324,000 square feet. Council members don't want nightly rentals or fractional ownership in the development. They do want Dakota to build a park and ride lot, medical facilities, and a continuing care retirement community where seniors can live and receive medical care in the same place. Here's Dakota Pacific CEO Mark Stanworth's reaction. I don't even know how to respond because it's so far away from where we are. Senior housing, continuing care, and an expanded park and ride have been a part of the conversation already, but Stanworth says he was hoping to discuss smaller tweaks Thursday. Council Chair Melina Stevens also told Stanworth they'd like to see the project phased alongside a Utah Department of Transportation-led Kimball Junction overhaul. There's public concern that Dakota Pacific's development will aggravate traffic. Others argue it could house workers that commute into Park City anyway, actually unclogging the junction. Councilmember Chris Robinson suggested Dakota has legislative abilities the county doesn't, asking the developer to help get state leaders to prioritize a Kimball Junction traffic solution. And, and we have a very exercised uh, body politic, you know, public, that, is, that, that lives with the traffic the same way we do. And so we have to have a, a certainty that something is really going to happen. UDOT has three ideas for how to fix Kimball's traffic. It will select one by the end of the year. But until then, there's no timeline for when mitigations might become a reality. Both parties agree it's unlikely Summit County gets the junction on UDOT's list of projects this legislative session. Unlikelier still, Councilmember Roger Armstrong has said, is getting money from the state during a relatively tight budget year. Stanworth says Dakota can't develop a detailed plan in five days for Tuesday's special meeting, only high-level ideas. He and the council decided to postpone the public hearing initially scheduled for Thursday evening. That also means the February 20th final decision is postponed indefinitely. The scheduled work sessions are still happening for now. The next one is 11 a.m. Tuesday at the Summit County Courthouse in Colville. It will also be streamed online. Connor Thomas, KPCW News. In the studio now with an update from the Summit County Health Department, I have Director Phil Bonnerant. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Um, any news with regard to flu and COVID numbers at this point? No, I 
I think that if you were to look on the dashboard on the website, you'd see um, some similar trends to what we've seen maybe last year or, or years previous. It's just that time of year. Uh, it's not too late to get a flu shot or a COVID shot if, if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, we're happy to have that conversation with you. But uh, as it sits now, we suspect that uh, we will kind of teeter our way into the spring and a time when we can get outside and see those numbers drop off. I know that there's a lot of conversations anecdotally about people being sick in the community and whether that's COVID or flu or anything in between. We just encourage you to stay home, uh, keep that to yourself, uh, protect yourself, protect your loved ones and those that you work with so that we can uh, keep everybody as healthy as possible. All right. Well, January was National Radon Awareness Month. Any idea how many people came by and purchased radon testing kits from you? Um, I know we had to order more, uh, which is always a good thing. I think a lot of that had to do with our opportunity to share that information on the radio show here, but also some of the work that staff had done. We talked about the radon heat map that is now live on the website. Uh, we've received some positive feedback about that. Uh, we work with some local partnerships here to help promote that, and we'll continue to build on that map in the coming years as we look to obtain a little bit more data that can help build a more robust map. So I think it was overall it was a success. You know, there's a lot here going on in January in Summit County. And so we're one of the, the voices that is trying to share our information uh, during that month. And I think that uh, given everything else and all the other things that were being promoted and discussed, that our radon campaign awareness or radon awareness campaign was fairly successful. Well, great. You know, and I noticed, I mean, with those hot spots um be hotter just given that more people perhaps are testing and actually have results than some of the other outlying communities because i noticed that prospectors seem to be hot and it's just because more people in prospector are actual testing yeah absolutely i mean th that map is going to be biased uh, to a certain degree given how many tests are being done you know word of mouth is a powerful um, marketing tool and so if a neighbor tests and saves finds that they have high levels of radon they're going to alert those in their neighborhood and then that's going to spread and so that's what the map is hoping to accomplish is is to promote the value of word of mouth show what we've seen so far and then the efforts of of staff are trying to secure additional data sets or resources here locally to make sure that the tests that we receive are more representative of the entire county not just those hot spots it should be noted that there are some spots where uh, given the nature of radon and how it, it's created and uh, migrates through our, our substrate or the ground, you are going to see spots that are a little bit uh, more prevalent than others. But that that should not mean that just because you live in an area that's not on the map or you live in the, the area you live in is not indicated on the map doesn't mean you shouldn't be testing. And so as we continue this effort throughout the year, we hope to build that map out um, in addition to the 10 years of data that support it now. Uh, add just more data points and the people that are testing independently uh, would provide some data to us. Yeah, and of course, uh, Prospector was the area for uh, old tailings pond for our mining industry many years ago. Would those, uh, would that radon have anything to do though with tailings in the soil? I mean, it's different, it's a different thing, or is it? Yeah, it's different. Um, radon is the decaying uranium in our soil um, as it uh, decays, it becomes radon, it migrates through the soil, cracks in the, the granite substrate, and then finds its way through the path of least resistance. So 
The mine tailings, you know, they're a, another environmental discussion that's occurring simultaneously. And radon is something that is a little bit um, different, but is still of public health concern. So we're working to bring awareness to that for our public. All right. Uh, Park City Municipal has says that it's going to start doing radon testing in all of its facilities, including all of the housing units that it owns. Does Summit County plan to do something similar or have you already been doing that? Yeah, it's, that's a great question, and I appreciate that thought. Um, we've, we've had conversations with Park City staff about radon and what they're doing. Um, for us and the authority that we have, we have tested all of the schools in Summit County. So all of our radon efforts in the schools are done in conjunction with the safety and sanitation inspections at all of our schools. Uh, we're safe to report or proud to report that none of our schools have issues or concerns with radon that we're aware of. But the idea that we should be testing county facilities is definitely something that we should be considering and we'll have those conversations with facility staff here in the coming weeks okay and again um as we've talked uh testing one year have some good numbers but you should continue to test because the earth's always shifting yeah and i mean anywhere you look there's always uh, changes in neighborhoods and streets and whether they're doing construction on a home or redoing a street or any type of um, situation where the ground is being disturbed we should be testing for radon if if you've tested in the past and that goes for seasonal testing as well if you've tested in the fall one year it might be wise to test in the spring a couple of years later just keep that uh, test going the, you know relatively speaking they're cheap that they're ten dollars at the health department and it it is the second leading cause of lung cancer next to cigarettes or next to tobacco um, of lung cancer and so we want to make sure that people are testing and if they have questions about radon we have a qualified staff that can speak to it there's a number of qualified radon mitigation specialists here in Summit County that deal with this on a daily basis and it's it's not something that's a one and done sort of test but you'd want to be testing regularly especially in basement areas where you have people living yeah um, there's a ten dollar fee for the test that includes postage to mail it to the lab then they say well do you want the expedited po you know mailing um, is that necessary I don't think so I, I think we've had great success with the tests that we've given so far that are just mailed in with the provided postage mm -hmm. I think it's about a two-week turnaround time uh, given how many are sent in uh, that notification comes back to the health department it goes to the homeowner and then where we're trying to gather more data is at the moment when a test is high, the health department is usually taken out of it and they hire a professional mitigation specialist. They go in and retest, mitigate, and then test again. And one of the things that our map does not include that we're hoping to in the future is those tests that were high, we wanna show the success of mitigation and provide uh, a post analysis. What do those numbers look like after mitigation? And we're, we're working with some local professionals to uh, possibly gather that information and provide that on the map so that people don't need to be scared of radon, but more so just educated on how they can mitigate it. All right. Does the county have any kind of recommended mitigation companies or? No, we don't. We don't have the ability to recommend or create a, a preferred provider list. But, um, you know, if that is something you're interested in, feel free to call the health department. Uh, we can talk to you about what you should be looking for, the questions you should ask, and then you can do your research from there. All right. Another Sundance Film Festival has come and gone since we last talked. I know the health department goes in and checks uh, facilities that may be used for any special Sundance events. Um, that number, though, probably down quite a bit from the heyday. Yeah, there's, um, if you look 
pre-pandemic, those numbers were quite a bit higher. We saw a lot of caterers coming from out of state here to attend the event. Uh, in a post-pandemic um, Sundance era, the numbers are, are considerably lower. Staff did roughly between 25 to 30 inspections on Friday night of the festivities. And most of those were local catering companies and local restaurants. And I'm very proud of the environmental health staff. They, they take their Friday night and spend the better part of that evening out, out making sure the event is safe, making sure that um, the mass gatherings permits and the food permits are all um, taken care of. The vendors are great to work with. We're grateful for our, our partnerships with Park City Municipal and the Park City Police Department as they make our jobs a lot easier. And then of course, environmental health, having had the experience doing these events for quite a while, they really have it down to a, a really smooth process. And the staff have, I mean, one of the ways that they limit uh, their influence or, or their time on the on the, at the festival is the biggest, um, I guess, penalty that we were seeing is providers did not have thermometers or test strips for their sanitizer buckets or to test um, their food temperatures. And instead of marking them um, as a demerit and then coming back an hour later to see if they ran to one of our local convenience stores to pick up a thermometer or, or um, test strips, we started providing those and we can provide them on site. That way they're considered compliant. They can have a successful event. We can move on and, and focus on some of the bigger issues. So a, a big shout out to our environmental health team and the work they put in. I think that's really what makes the event a success uh, as well as our partnerships. Okay. Um, you have some health board openings. Is, uh, are you still accepting applications? Yeah, I think the application period is closed. Mm -hmm. That closed in mid-January. Um, I was told that there were 20-plus uh, applications, which is absolutely phenomenal. I'm not a part of the process. I, I am just um, on the perimeter, on the outskirts in here as it goes through. But as I understand it, uh, of the five positions that we had available, um, two of our board members reapplied, uh, Chris Cherniak and Dr. Alyssa Golding. And then we send... Um, three of our board members with um, with just a heart full of appreciation of Dorothy Adams, Chris Ure, and Heidi Gordon for their service on the board. They have decided not to come back for additional terms. And then uh, Dorothy Adams, who is, I consider, a good friend and a fellow environmental health scientist, actually served four consecutive terms on the board. So 12 years she's been committed to public health in Summit County and um, unfortunately is not eligible for a fifth term. So as I see, as I understand it now, they if they haven't started interviews, they've at least set interviews up with those individuals that are eligible because the remaining positions are uh, boundary based. So a North Summit, South Summit, and Snyderville Basin representative, and our county manager Shane Scott is working through that interview process now. We hope that um, it's all finished and the positions have been selected in time for the start of our March Board of Health meeting. So that would be their first meeting. Okay. I um, also wanted to note that there is a mental health survey online, and I think February 16th is the deadline to get that filled out. Yeah, it's, I thought it was February 14th. Oh. We uh, timed with Valentine's Day, but I could be wrong. But uh, nonetheless, this is the last week either way, and it's our last push to uh, get that mental health survey out and have people take it. Really, this is the, the guiding um foundation for the mental wellness strategic plan it's it's done every two years it helps provide uh, the health department's behavioral health division with 
the necessary indicators as to how we want to serve the public and address behavioral health issues and concerns within the community. So last week, if you haven't taken it, please do. It's both in English and Spanish. Um, it's really an important survey and we'll continue to throughout the week push it as best we can through social media and other avenues to make sure people know it's there and available. Yeah, so what are you asking, you know, people that are filling out the survey? Um, to be honest, I mean, you know, the questions are there and, and it's not a very difficult survey. Um, it's really the opportunity for them to share how they're feeling. To be honest, it's 100% anonymous. There's no way to tie it back to an individual. Um, you know, when this process started, I want to say seven or eight years ago, it's really what's led our behavioral health efforts in Summit County. It's gotten us to where we are now, and uh, we're much better now than we were before. The providers and the processes that have been put in place are much more efficient. Um, Aaron Newman, our behavioral health director, working with the council, has done an excellent job to bring those services here to the community. and in an effort to keep that tradition alive and to have those services available at a very high level, uh, this is the information that drives that effort. And we would hope that people would take, you know, the five to 10 minutes to do the survey, uh, help us understand what they're looking for, where the shortfalls might be, and um, be better service providers in the future. Yeah, um, since it is self-selected, I mean, is it statistically valid in any sense? Um, that's also a good question, depending on um, which academic studies and research you look at. There are always concerns with self-reported. But by stressing that it's anonymous, we hope that people will report honestly and will provide relevant and timely information that helps us direct and allocate resources to this effort. So there's always the concern that self-reported data is the most biased data and there's probably truth to that but it's also one of the most effective ways to capture a larger audience and so with that um, the data excuse me the survey has built-in points that help um, limit some of those uh, survey responses that might be extreme or um, outside of of that spectrum and and in doing so we have faith that the, that the data and the way the survey is administered will help provide and direct our behavioral health services over the next two years. All right. Well, Aaron Newman would probably be the better one to ask, but I mean, can, can you tell us what improvements have been made by maybe some of the responses that you've seen over the years? Yeah, I, th I think that if you were to look at the strategic plans, the one that sticks out to me the most and um, in this role, I think is the most valuable is the number of providers that are um, here in the county. I, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's 100 plus, which has reduced lead times and wait times for individuals experiencing uh, mental uh, wellness episodes or mental health episodes. The ability to go from a six week wait time to just under a week or so is extremely important. Um, in addition to that, in the event of a severe mental health crisis, there's been two additional programs that have been put into place. The first and one that I know that Aaron is very proud of is all of our law enforcement here in Summit County is trained in mental health crisis response. And, and that is extremely important because our law enforcement officers, they have a hard job. And when they arrive at a situation, sometimes they don't know what to expect. But when they're trained in this field and they understand 
how to respond. Um, it's, it's better for them. They have the ability to control the situation a little better, and it's better for the individual that's experiencing that episode as well. In the event that the uh, law enforcement officers are um, able to identify the severity of the situation, we also have an MCOT, a mobile crisis outreach team, and they, they respond um, immediately or within the timeframes um, that they're allowed or eligible to. And they also can tend to those uh, severe or critical mental health um, episodes. And I think that for me, those, those three are the ones that stand out the most. And that is a result of the data that Aaron has available to him, what we're seeing on a national scale, um, conversations with our law enforcement officials and partners, and really just making sure that uh, everybody has a tough time now and then, and that um, one of these events or episodes that an individual might be experiencing is not something that is life altering or creates a situation where uh, one decision alters the, the outcome or the direction of their life, but it's a, an episode that just like when you break your leg on the ski slope, we can help you. We can help you get treatment that you need and get back to feeling happy and healthy. Okay, anything else you want to mention? No, I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate the time here. All right, thank you, Phil. Phil Bondurant, again, is the director of the Summit County Health Department. Well, another busy month at the Utah Olympic Park this month. Uh, big events have been happening since November and more to come. In the studio with a park update, I have General Manager Jamie Kimball. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah, so uh, once you got ice on the track, uh, you hosted the first events. You had uh, Junior Luge World Cup. Mm -hmm. You had the IBSF Bobsled North America's Cup for bobsleigh and skeleton athletes. You've had the uh, FIS Open and U.S. National Aerials Championship, sort of a warm-up for the Deer Valley Freestyle World Cup, and then you've got more ahead? We do, we do. Um, as you said, coming off the, the sliding events, we were a little challenged with snow like everybody else um, here in the Valley, but we've ramped things up. Uh, we had um, our first uh, inaugural event on the um, Spence Eccles Mountain, Olympic Mountain Center uh, the end of January with the University of Utah and Westminster Invitational Slalom and Giant Slalom Race, which was a really great event um, there at the end of January um, and really kind of set the, the stage for us using that area of the, the mountain some more. Um, and so with that, we've just kind of rolled forward. We actually have a, a packed weekend with a Super G race series starting tomorrow up there on that area as well. And then right into a freestyle mogul event for uh, the Intermountain Division, um, which will take us through the weekend um, into a following uh, Alpine uh, YSL series race on our smaller slopes on the highway. So back to back all the way through next weekend um, with our skiing uh, and racing there. Yeah, so what's the response been to the, because this is really the first full year of opening that mm -hmm. West Peak expansion area. Oh, it's been great. I feel like it's been critical. We were really one of the, the first areas that people could ski a full length course all over the West due to the challenging. Um, we were getting calls from people in California um, and the North trying to come down and, and ski with us just because of the lack of terrain that was out there. So it's worked really well. The response from athletes and coaches has been amazing and uh, we've been been using it as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, it used to be that the, the youth ski res, you know races could be held at the, at the mountain. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just almost impossible to try and do that so it's really kind of proved to be a yeah not only a training grounds but a venue race venue exactly huh? and we we really 
popped up as well as we're a seven day a week operation now we train all day long um, as well as host these events as well so it really has helped give a, a home for all of the local club um, to be able to come in and train and compete on the same slopes they're training on all right so uh, you've have you do have snow making there on that yes, west, we do. so able to make snow and we are you kind of held off for a while just what the weather just wasn't ideal? The or? weather was not cooperating and we were using um, our resources on the other half of the mountain to get the, the lower section and the, um, the uh, highway area open first and then we switched over here the second half. We're actually just finishing up some late season snowmaking to get ready for the mogul event. Yeah, um, of course it takes water, cold temperatures of course, but water, where, where do you guys get that? Uh, we installed um, our snowmaking pond uh, this year, and so that took us all the way into the fall, and that really helped out bolster our, our snowmaking resources as now we can store um, water a little bit longer and be able to, to make snow more efficiently. Okay. Um, maybe can you talk a little bit about how the bid process works for bringing events to the to the UOP? I mean, do you go out and solicit the events? And, and I don't mean just the alpine, but also the, the sliding sports, or is Definitely. it that the national governing... Uh, organizations, the NGOs approach you? It is a really combination of all of the above. You know, from the, the ski side of things, we really work closely with Park City Ski and Snowboard, our resident club there, um, to work through the alpine events, both freestyle, ski jumping, um, alpine racing as well. And, uh, and then from an international perspective, uh, working on the calendar with the um, national governing bodies and the IFs uh, from a sliding perspective. They try to do the calendars a few years out so that we can um, plan that as those events kind of move around the country and the world. Yeah, <clears throat> there's no admission for most of the competitions. So how is it that the park makes money to offset its expenses? Well, it is. Uh, uh, we work with the IFs and the, and the national governing bodies on site fees, um, and uh, work with some of the ancillary income um, and donations in order to make these events work and, and at least break even. We don't really make money on these events, but we try to get back to zero the best we can. Right, right, because it that involves a lot of staff extra work, my guess, to mm -hmm. prepare for them. Right. So. No, it definitely does. And, and again, the um, clubs that help organize these events really bring out the volunteer program, and and that's something that we're actually focusing on now is trying to create our volunteer program um, that can cross events so that you don't have a different pool for alpine that you do for sliding and um, really kind of build as we head towards uh, potential next olympic games try to get that grassroots um, volunteer program going now all right and i know that uh, people can certainly come up and watch the events and they're on the sliding track um, mm -hmm. there's some uh, venue uh, uh, spectator venue areas definitely same thing over on the um the, the alpine and the mobile well, courses so two sides really the best thing about the highway is that you can park right at the bottom and, and you the finish is literally 100 feet from you um so you can see it all from the parking lot but really if you just turn to the right the best vantage point for the new olympic hopeful run is right there from the parking lot so we got a lot of people that'll just pull up in their cars and turn around and watch it Okay, you say Olympic hopeful for the... That is the um, name of our um, slalom giant slalom run over there in the Spence Eccles Olympic Mountain Center. Oh, great there name. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, in, in terms of the... Uh, 
why is it that we have two separate organizations for track sports? I mean, why, why haven't we combined them? Well, you, you have decision. a little bit. <laughs> yes, that um, is an interesting question, and, and they work really well together, but you have bobsled and skeleton, um, and it's kind of this way around the world as well. That They have their sliding focus and then the luge organization as well. Um, and they do share time, and um, but right now they still have two different um, kinds of methods of, of working and training, so they've kind of stayed separate around around the world. Yeah, because I would think luge and skeleton would belong together before mm -hmm. bobsled and... Well, it's they use the skeleton, skeleton and bobsled use the same starts in the same track where luge has a, a different kind of start bar and way that they um, start their events. So that's why they have two different areas that they start from um, along the track as well. So mm. you, for luge, you have handles and you lay on your back and you pull yourself out and then you kind of paddle along to get going. Where um, bobsled and skeleton, you actually stand by your sled and you run forward with it and then lay down on your skeleton sled or jump into the bobsled. So. Um, I'm not saying that's the reason they don't work together, but that's the differences between the sports. Sure. Um, at what point do you turn off the refrigeration for that? Believe it or not, um, sport is coming up here in the middle of March. Uh, the training uh, will stop around the 15th, um, but then we continue with our uh, winter public bobsled program all the way into April this year. So um, that's kind of exciting. We've extended it another, another extra week. Uh, I believe it goes till the 13th of April. So people will be able to come out and experience the bobsled track um, all the way until uh, then. Yeah, um, we had Connie Nelson on last week, and she had said like 475,000 people come through the museum. I'm guessing yeah. they, al they also see your facilities as well. That's yeah, they, a lot. Yeah, they do. You know, it's amazing um, between summer and winter and the amount of um, people that come through the museum and then walk back around the facility, take our tours up to the top to really be able to see the, the um, other aspects of the park. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. You guys ever going to open up the stairs to the ski hill for public use? Uh, I don't know about public use quite yet, but it's definitely um, people out there asking for it. But um, right now we've got some plans coming down um, long term that we want to make sure we don't uh, we keep those stairs safe and in, in good shape right now. We don't want to put public on them quite yet. Okay. Well, they do at Iron Mountain, just because yes. I've climbed them lots of times. So. Yes, and we've done some events in the past where we do a stair climb, mm -hmm. um, but uh, right now, the way that those those get used, we're, we're not open to the public right now. Okay, and then plans, I know that you try to do the um, kind of the hill climb when you still have the, the ropes the on. on. So would that happen spring or fall? You know, that has um, really been taken over by the Park City Ski and Snowboard Club, and I don't know if they have that on the calendar for this summer. Okay. All right, anything else, Jamie, you wanted to mention? No, um, I just have to give give one plug. Uh, if anyone's interested, uh, out at Soldier Hollow um, in the uh, first week of March, we do have the Biathlon World Cup happening out there, so super exciting, the 8th, 9th, and 10th. If um, anyone's looking for something to do that weekend, come check it out. Okay. All right, Jamie, thanks for coming by. Thank you so much. Jamie Kimball is the general manager of the Utah Olympic Park. Well, Park City Mountain hosted celebrations for its 60th season this weekend. KPCW's Christine Weller reports the community took advantage of the festivities. Park City Mountain's history is tied to Park City's mining past. Mineral prices were falling in the 1930s, which led the booming mining industry to cool down. In 1961, United Park City Mines made a plan to revitalize Park City's economy. It wanted to transform the mining town into a recreation resort. So in 1963, United Park City Mines opened Treasure Mountains, which later became Park City Mountain. Kathy Whalen worked at the resort in its earlier stages. When I first came to Park City, I probably had the best job on the mountain. 
I was the live-in host at the Snow Hut at the base of Silverload now, but it was the base of Prospector back then. Boylan said she loved life in Park City and eventually decided to settle down as it had become her hometown. I got to enjoy my life as a ski bum and we'd get up early and ski first runs, come back, open the cafe, enjoy our day, had a great crew and then I moved off of the resort and created my own life here. She went to the Mountain Village Plaza to join in Park City Mountain celebrations for its 60th anniversary. On Saturday, the Mountain hosted a free concert and many attendees were fans of the chosen band Will Dorado. They were my number one song on Spotify wrapped for a few years, so yeah, I couldn't pass up the opportunity for a free concert. That's Gabrielle Weber. She's originally from Iowa and learned to ski this season. Jacob Miklo specifically planned his trip to Park City so he would be there for Park City Mountain's 60th season events. I've been skiing all over the world, but the best skiing that I ever did is Park City. Way better than Aspen, way better than anywhere in Colorado, Canada. Park City is the place to go. It's not just fun, it's exciting, it's thrilling, uh, they do parties. Chief Operating Officer of Park City Mountain, Deirdre Walsh, says the resort is excited to have the community and visitors celebrate 60 years with them. Parkites and visitors can look forward to the Queer Ski event at the end of this month and the Ponskin event coming up in the spring. Christine Miller, KPCW News. After a nationwide search, the Park City Education Foundation has named Ingrid Whitley as the new president and CEO of the organization. She joins me now in the studio along with the Vice President of Advancement, Jen Bellow. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Well, congratulations, Ingrid. Um, Thank you. Maybe just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and why you wanted the job. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I saw this job uh, pop up on my LinkedIn and I wasn't really searching for a new role, but the opportunity to be here in my community making a difference in public education back where my career started um, was really intriguing to me. So I started my career at Teach for America in the classroom as a public school educator. And then I worked in, in the nonprofit education space for many years after that at Teach for America um, before I did some fundraising consulting work um, with schools. So I've always been in the education sphere um, but I missed being in public education. So I'm so excited to be at the Park City Education Foundation, making an impact in the community I live in. And I've lived in for the last, you know, three and a half years or so. Yeah. So um, what do you see as the biggest part of the job? I mean, is it raising money? Yeah, you know, that's certainly a significant part of the job, as Jen knows uh, uh, well. Um, you know, our, our mission is really to impact Park City School District students and teachers and, and support them in the work they're doing and to make sure every student in the district is getting equal access to those amazing programs and opportunities. And so I think the way that we do that is through obviously fundraising, um, building awareness of what's going on um, with us and with the school district and trying to bring more people into the fold. So, you know, grow awareness and, and um, bring more supporters to support the work that we're doing. Yeah, I'm guessing that during the interview process, you were probably asked by, you know, the, the committee, you know, just maybe some of the innovation you could bring to the organization. I mean, can you talk a little bit about maybe about what you see for the future of, of the foundation? Yeah, I have been asked that question and I'm entering week four. So I'm still really getting a lay of the land. The team, the board, uh, the former leader, Abby McNulty, all have just done an amazing job um, growing the scale of the organization and the impact that they've been able to have. 
And so before I start, you know, bringing in tons of new ideas, I really want to understand what's been going on um, and, and meet as many people as I can, hear what what you know our supporters and our um, our you know staff are hopeful for as they look at the future, and then I'll start to formulate some new ideas. But um, certainly have some kind of circulating right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, does the did the board have any kind of marching orders for you? <laughs> Raise money. Um, <laughs> you know that's really important and and something that we're um, constantly thinking about. So that's uh, hopefully I'll I'll bring that to the table with my experience in fundraising consulting and um, I you know I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But again, the work that's been going on has been incredible, um, and I want to just make sure that continues and and grow our our supporters so yeah okay well good luck yeah thank you so much yeah Yeah. again congratulations um the uh jen the park city school district after school program again one of the foundation's you know primary initiatives um also uh, part of the child care solution. So maybe give us a little bit of the background on that after school program. Yeah, absolutely. So in about 2005 or six, the Boys and Girls Club pulled out of Park City and there really wasn't any any place for kids to go after school. And so the Ed Foundation was the first funder of the after school po- program at McPollin. It was a it was highly impacted, and and they needed um, a place for kids to go that was safe and enriching, and so it started there. We funded that first after school program, and it was so successful. You know, it grew to all four elementary schools and um, Ecker and Treasure as well. And of course, the the school district now is the main funder of their own after school program, but but uh, PCF donors do contribute about two hundred and fifty thousand a year to help keep it affordable and it is a, a critical piece of, of the child care solution you know we live in this child care desert and so that is a place after school for working families that kids can go and especially at the elementary school it's there's homework help and academic help but it's also I don't know maybe at least 20 or 30 activities every month with a lot of community partners like eats um, and Park City Garden um, the Basin Rec, uh, just, I mean, numerous partners that provide activities. And then we do also fund a, a, a STEM program. So there's a STEM teacher that goes to all four after schools and creates these great hands-on lesson. Um, so we have been funding that since 2007, or, or a part of that. And the newest parts are at Ecker and Treasure, and those are more self-directed. So they're kind of students sort of decide at the beginning of the year what they'd like to do. So there's cooking classes. I mean, YSA does have Activate at Ecker. There's Dungeons and Dragons Club. There's a chill zone at Treasure. There is, um, there is a, there's been a DJ club. There's photography club, book club. And the, the purpose more of those middle and junior high after school programs is really to provide not only a safe space and the homework help, but to help those purpose-driven friendships, which are really important for wellness among our middle and junior high school schoolers. So the, the, the students around the Dungeons and Dragons Club, we have so many stories there of students who were not going to school at all, but then they didn't get to go to D&D afterward. And that might seem silly, but then it does get those kids to school and then it does give them a purpose after school and friendships that are productive. And so that has been a 
almost an unexpected success in those older after-school programs. So really um, proud to work with the school district. And the exciting thing, we talked last month about the preschool expanding, and Park City School District is also expanding after-school. So the preschool students, the four-year-olds, will be able to go to after-school, and working parents can have that, you know, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday um, for their four-year-olds through, you know, through junior high. And and that's just huge. Really, Park City School District is almost taking all four-year-olds out of the puzzle in, a, in an affordable way. So then other community partners like PC Tots or private preschools can can take up the slack in the in the younger, younger kiddos. And I know Ingrid has a has a one-year-old and, and child care is, it's, it's As you were saying hard. that, I, was, I cannot wait for that to be <laughs> the case, so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So is there a fee then for the program? Yes, yeah, so it is tuition based mm-hmm. and it is on a sliding scale, just like preschool. So it, it is affordable, gosh. Um, you can go online to find out, but I believe th- for the month it is, 380 or 390 a month for after school and then it is 125 on the sliding scale so the the school district has made quite an investment as well as the ed foundation preschool and after school are two of our eight signature initiatives okay and i didn't realize it went through ninth grade yeah so so both at ecker and treasure they have they have it's a little different format mm-hmm. um and it's drop-in as well so 40 to 50 kids drop in every single week for all those activities Activities that are offered. All right, um, and it, the idea um, just to keep it fun, so they don't feel like they're in school. Exactly, to mm-hmm. keep it fun. Um, again, lots of homework and academic help if you need it, but then all these other great fun activities that are based on the kids' interests. So you know, halfway through the year, they might change up classes if if you know it doesn't seem that kids are interested. But they seem to have it down now, and there are again so many fun things to do, and and creating those purpose-driven friendships, which are really important important at that age. Yeah, so do you have teachers staffing the program or do you hire people just on a part-time basis? There, there's a combination. So that that is also, you know, where funding help comes in. There are um, there are licensed teachers and then there are also just staff. And, and oh my gosh, the after-school um, team came to our board meeting last week and they said for the first time in six years, after-school is fully staffed. It has been extremely hard to get that fully staffed. We are one of, I think, the only school school district they said in the state that doesn't have a wait list for after school anymore which is remarkable it's remarkable across this the country it, um, a lot of districts are cutting after school because of the expense um, and so we're again Park City School District really stepping up to help provide this solution okay um, well the first sign that spring is coming is when registration <laughs> for running with Ed open so you are that's happening here soon happening very soon yes so talking about the programs we fund but then we also need to raise the money to fund them and running with ed is absolutely one of the most fun ways as you said it's a a rite of spring Um, so it is our eight leg relay race around all park city schools and the uop registration opens on march 1st and it's early bird registration for the month of march so there is a a a discount on the registration fee and we're very very excited because the first 100 paid participants will also get a stanley water bottle branded with running with ed so this will be a rarity 
and we know Stanley is super hot right now. They, gosh, they were spoofed on Saturday Night Live the other night, <laughs> so you know you're big. Um, so we're really excited. A community member has stepped up to help with that, to have those for our first 100 people. But again, you know, last year, the never-ending ending winter, um, hurt running with it a little bit so we really hope we'll get that full full community participation back it's so much fun anyone can do it you know we have legs that are just over a mile um or you can run up the uop stairs and you know just really go all out if you want or take the chairlift which is what i do when i do that leg um but it's a great time great party at the finish house at uh, at the field house um for the finish party and it raises about 300 and to three hundred fifty thousand dollars uh, which is a big a big part of that 1.7 million we provide to the school district. So our community is so supportive of public education and we really want everyone to come out and just enjoy this great celebration of education for running with ed. Okay, I think you have a separate website for that. We right? do, yeah. you're right, Leslie. So it's runningwithed.com. You can go on there now to start learning about it. Registration opens um, March 1st, as I said, and then of course, anything you want to learn about PCEF, you can just go to PCEF, the number four kids.org. Okay, anything else either you want to mention? Uh, just thank, thank everyone for their support so far. We hope to see you out on race day. Can't wait. Okay, all right, Ingrid, Jen, yeah, thanks so thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Leslie. Well, Utah has joined the national debate about how to regulate name, image, and likeness deals for college athletes and shield these NIL contracts from state public records law. Utah Senate President Stuart Adams is one lawmaker backing Representative Jordan Teuscher's House Bill 202 looking to place guardrails around this NIL contract, again, name, image, and likeness. The Utah News Dispatch reports the latest version of the bill would ban higher education institutions from using state funds for student-athlete agreement purposes. It would explicitly ban NIL deals that promote substances like tobacco, marijuana, and alcohol. Tertiary's bill would also exempt NIL agreements from any communications or other related materials from Utah's public records law. The Utah Transparency Project, a joint enterprise among Utah media to provide real-time assessments of pending legislation, has given the bill a closed-door rating.